You're listening to episode 65 with Duke Greenhill, Chair of Advertising and Graphic Design at SCAD. This episode is brought to you by Moonshot Missions. Hi, this is Ryan Romero, Associate Professor of Practice at University of Texas at Austin, Stan Richards School of Advertising and Public Relations, and Bag of Meat. <laughs> this is a podcast that is demonstrating the value of communication in the water sector. It's Water in Real Life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. Hey, water nerds, what's your moonshot? George Hawkins, former chief executive of DC Water, is president and founder of Moonshot Missions. Moonshot is a nonprofit organization seeking to disrupt the current approach to delivering improvements to water systems. Led by seasoned and skilled experts, Moonshot Missions designs replicable models that help utilities overcome the challenges they face in order to move forward. Moonshot can help you assess your system, select solutions from a pre-vetted menu of projects, plus develop innovative financing approaches. You are not in this alone. Moonshot Missions will help you collaborate with other leaders to work together, develop tailored mission plans, and share lessons learned. Together, you can build water systems that work more efficiently and effectively to protect and provide for the residents you serve while also saving your customers money. If you'd like to learn more or even share your own experience that might be helpful for a struggling utility to adopt and start on a positive path, visit moonshotmissions.org or email george at moonshotmissions.org. That which is complicated is hard to remember and difficult to share. That which is simple, a message that people understand immediately, respond to emotionally immediately, and can then convey to another human being immediately, has to be simple. Uh, And so whatever communication solution we come up with after a great deal of overthinking Mm -hmm. had better be simple if we want it to, to have any legs at all. In the words of our mentor, Greg Lukash, you ready for a brain explosion today? Well, we have crammed a 10-week course at SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design, into, eh, you know, about an hour. We had the privilege of working down the hall from Duke Greenhill at our old office space before he left for SCAD, and we learned so much in that time together. The class takeaways he'll be discussing with us today are all about creating contagion. Okay, now I realize that in the water quality world, we obviously are trying to avoid infectious disease. However, when communicating the value of water, there is nothing more that we want than to go viral in the hearts and minds of our communities. Okay, so our aim isn't to go viral, but it is to keep it simple. My top three takeaways from our conversation with Duke are to, like I said, keep our message simple. Remember that our social currency is defined by the quality of our engagement and not necessarily the quantity of followers. And that at the end of the day, human beings make decisions emotionally, period. We use reason to rationalize a decision we've already made. If you can conjure up emotion in a target audience and that emotion is one that will drive them to take action, you've won. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Duke Greenhill is a leading advertising creative and strategist, writer, filmmaker, and omni-channel marketer. He's known for being among the first to employ augmented reality gaming and episodic transmedia marketing in the United States, and for being a thought leader in the luxury branding and advertising space. Duke has published articles on luxury brand strategy and storytelling in top-tier industry press, including Fast Company, The Harvard Business Review, The Telegraph, HubSpot, and others. His projects have won many industry awards, including Effie's, One Show's, Ogilvy Awards, Addie's, and others. According to academia.edu, an organization that monitors the impact of published thought leaders, Greenhill is cited in nearly half a million journals and academic papers. He is currently the chair of advertising and graphic design at SCAD and a badassery of all kinds of sorts that we are huge fans of here at Rogue Water. So huge fan, fangirling right now. So, so excited to be chatting with you this evening, Duke. Thank you so much. For I am too. And as always, you two are way too kind. <laughs> um, well, Duke was also a speaker at our inaugural Catalyst 2018, Mm -hmm. um, twice. Like we got, we were blessed with two presentations by Duke at at that situation. So you were definitely an honorary water nerd. You got to spend some time with our water nerd fam there at Catalyst. You've always been incredibly supportive of our mission, 
What do you dig about the water biz and how are you going to use your advertising guru status to take our comps to the next level? <laughs> <laughs> you guys ask great questions. Um, part one, I guess, what is it I dig about water? At the end of the day, I think the simplest way to answer that is I think water is sexy. Mm, and yeah. In advertising, I'm, you know, we're all always looking for the sexy product, the sexy service, something that you can do something cool with. Water, and this is a cliche only because it's true, is all about life. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, when we're combing other universes, other planets for where there might be life, we don't look for life, we look for water. Yep. And uh, ultimately, I think it's going to be the, the great commodity of, of humankind. Um, and so I dig it. And <laughs> in terms of what to bring to me because of that reason, uh, that water is sexy. I don't see, I don't see why there needs to be a distance between the way we market, say a Tiffany ring and the way we communicate about water. Um, it's all so blue. I think, huh? It's, all, it's blue. all blue. That's right. And so to me, I think the first step and what I would like to encourage or bring is to stop thinking about water as a utility, as something people don't want to hear about as uh, you know, this second rate product or service and start treating it with respect it deserves and, and produce communications that treat it that way. Mm, preach. I think we can end the interview there. I mean, that's yeah, the <laughs> takeaways right there. Might drop. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Duke. So you're teaching a class at SCAD called Creating Contagion from Experience to Entertainment to create a groundswell of intrigue. Yeah, Tell that's a good a long title there. Yeah, That's awesome. I like it. Tell us a little bit more about this class, what you hope students will walk away with, and this contagious book. Oh, sure. Uh, the book is great. Um, it's uh, just kind of what the, the title implies, a sort of breakdown of certain components that make communications uh, viral, shareable, or what they call, the authors call, sticky. Uh, and... The class, while it shares the name, doesn't, doesn't exactly spring from the book, but we, we talk about similar concepts, uh, ways to be at the forefront of communications, at the forefront of marketing, advertising, uh, PR, whatever the, the commercial communication might be, by focusing first on the entertainment value of the communication and the utility of it. What does it provide the end user? Do they get something from consuming it uh, rather than the message, how to sell it? Yeah. Um, and so we look at things like story, uh, you know, shareability. Is it innovative? Uh, things that will encourage people to get something out of the message itself and not just the, the product you're messaging. Nice. Well, I love that. That's a good academic answer too. That is a great <laughs> academic answer. I want to join your class. Yeah. <laughs> I have not I, wanted to go back to college, but I do now. I'm well, it's a fun class, and, and the students, I got to tell you, are speaking of remarkable. Sometimes I think they're better than I am, but um, are they looking fun. for a job? Well, <laughs> many of them will be soon. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love that you touched on one of our favorite topics, which is storytelling, and that's actually one of the things that you kick your class off with. So. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the five elements of story that you teach your students and what does it mean for a story to be sticky? The elements of story are maybe not what you're hoping for, but there are things like character, plot, uh, setting, uh, tension, conflict though, which yeah. I think is probably worth talking about. Without that, you don't have a story. Mm -hmm. Um, but I kick off the class with story because it's, the absolute foundation. It's the fundamental thing that makes any kind of communication, whether it's interpersonal or, or commercial, worth communicating. Yeah. Uh, human beings have been telling stories and cave paintings since time immemorial. It's, it's within us. It's a drug to us. Ooh. And, um, nothing wrong with, with leveraging a little story addiction when you're trying to get yeah. something done. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I feel like everything you say is just like, oh, I need to write that down and save that. Oh, I need to write that down. And save that. Like, yes, yeah, story is a drug. I mean, we're our brains are hardwired to process information that way. Uh, we were actually just 
you know, at our biz, we're in such a hard skill kind of technical regulatory type industry. And so we were speaking with a researcher about that. And she said, you know, storytelling may not be, or I'm sorry, communication may not be may not be rocket science, but it is neuroscience. And I yes. think like, a lot of times people forget that because, well, we communicate all day, every day. And so therefore we think that it's just this easy thing that we can do. And we don't realize that there's all of this kind of backstory to it of why it's so important. And so I love the fact that it is, that is how our, our brains are hardwired and it is an addiction. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, we want to, we want to get people addicted to this, to the story of, of water. So, um, can I derail us for a second? Cause you said something interesting. Okay. You can absolutely derail us. It's conversation. That, that communication people might perceive as easy. I, do you think it's, I mean, I don't know anyone that thinks it's easy, which is, I think that's why a lot of marriages people, fail. Most people that's don't communicate well. Right. I think it's for lack of story. So, mm -hmm. but I think it's the assumption. I don't, I absolutely do not think that it's easy. I think that it takes work, but I think it's the assumption that it's because it's something that we feel like we do all day, every day that therefore we can. So I can craft an email. Therefore I'm a communicator. We've literally yeah. had people say that to us before yeah. in, in presentations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I we ought to be good at it. So we all assume we are, but oh, dear I can have a conversation with a person. Ergo, I am a communicator. I mean, everyone, yes, is communicating and some form or fashion, but are you doing it effectively? Are you making an impact? Are you, in our case, driving people to behavior change? Uh, it's just, are you driving people to move something forward? Uh, are you getting people to get buy-in with what you're trying to, with the innovation that you're trying to do or the rate change that you're trying to do? Or, you know, like there's, yes, we are all communicators, but I think, I guess it comes to the point of effectiveness. Amen. <laughs> are you effectively telling that story? Amen. Um, Oh, yeah. I Okay, so I got the uh, wonderful gift of being able to look through the syllabus for this class. And as Aaron <laughs> said, we want to audit it. But what is the 360 degrees of a sticky project brief? What is that all about? Ah, so hopefully in the very first class, usually if there's time in there, there usually is. I assign the sort of master project for the whole quarter. Mm. SCAD is unusual in that we do four quarters a year instead of two semesters. And so a class run is only for 10 weeks, which is, that. you know, That's quick tight. and heavy, as they say. Yeah. Uh, if I were an administrator, I would say it's very rigorous. Um, <laughs> but it is. And so I assign a master project. You know, 10 weeks is about what you might have if you're lucky to put together a campaign for a client. Yeah. And so the master project is to devise a campaign for either an existing or imaginary client. Sometimes I assign it to them. Sometimes I let them choose uh, that the 360 refers to omni-channel. Um, okay. No, no communication is absorbed by any audience when it's, you know, conveyed all over just radio or just television or just print. It's got to be uh, surround sound. Mm, um, I love that. And so that's what the 360 refers to. Uh, and then it's got to leverage all of the elements of contagion that we talk about in the class. Okay. Um, I'm laughing so, because Stephanie and I just call it a pie. <laughs> and he, pie. Has this, he has this like really cool like you surround a, sound, yes. omni-channel, like, <laughs> like we just presented <laughs> on the same thing and we gave them like 30 pies. <laughs> yeah. We had like seven slides a slide with for all pie like different pie-related pictures <laughs> of, uh, yeah. So, well, surround sound. I taste a lot better than a, a surround sound speaker, but. That is true. Um, okay, so from there you move to this lesson called Triggers, the importance of time and place. <laughs> I know triggers have kind of come to be a negative connotation in uh, today's society, but uh, you assigned some chapters from Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. I think I read that book in a single afternoon. I could not put it down. What are, what are triggers from the, from the perspective that you're taking and what are some of the key points that you pull out from tipping point? Triggers are anything that you can attach a CTA, a call to action to. So if you're advertising, you know, product X and you can attach 
the purchase or the use of that product to a smell, uh, uh, mm. a taste, if it's not already a, a tasteable product, uh, a shape, a color, um, then you can conjure top of mind thinking about your product every time a consumer or a target audience member sees that shape, color, smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's top of mind, they take action. And so you always want them thinking about your message so that when the time comes, you know, they're ready. Uh, and triggers are those things that, that you can sort of hijack and make your own in order to achieve that. Nice. So drinking a nice, tall, cold glass of water on a hot but, Texas on day. On a hot Texas day. That's it. That's a trigger for me. <laughs> you can attach it, you know, to the smell of the honeysuckle or, or whatever else. Then yes. every time people smell it, they think, oh, water. Yeah. Man, I need to drink that big old glass of water. Hold on. You just oh. gave me an idea. I got to write down. Honeysuckles, cold glass of water, no ice. There you go. There was a, I think it was 2015, maybe there was a, a great campaign that Dunkin' Donuts did, I think in Asia. And they played radio spots on buses. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time had some sort of contraption in the bus that would emit the smell of Dunkin' Donuts. Oh my God, that's brilliant. And they arranged for the buses or arranged for there to be pop-up Dunkin' Donuts at the major bus stops. And I can't remember if it was all of Asia or Malaysia. I can't remember where the campaign ran, but a sales increase of 40%. Oh my, yeah, I believe that. I mean, if that happened here, they can't have that happen here because our obesity rate is already so high. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would have to be the new norm. Like, yeah, when I get on a bus, I need to eat some food. What is it going to be today? Yeah. So funny enough, in uh, the the new place where we have our office space, um, on the other side of one of the walls of one of the office spaces here is a- Ice cream shop. Is an ice cream shop that has waffle cones. And so when we came here to tour and he was showing us all the different offices, he was like, um, we're going to get this fixed, but we call this the waffle cone room and the entire office room smelled like waffle cones. And I was like, we can't no, because I'll just be hungry like the entire day. So I, yeah, that would be a real problem for me. Yeah, it was. No, I mean, it was for us Mm -hmm. too. So we got the one with the ice cream. I can smell ice cream from three blocks away. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the waffle cone smell was um, overwhelming to any other smell. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah. That's why I can't have any of those senses or whatever that are food. Because <laughs> I'll just be like eating all day. Mm, yeah, no, I can't. I used to get the apple pie one and I found oh. myself going, you know, to the filling station getting those cheap 99 cent apple pies. I was like, exactly. What am I eating? What yep. doing? Because you've been smelling Triggers. it all day. Trigger. Yep. Well, that's a trigger. Trigger. Okay. So innovation, it's a buzzword like everywhere, Mm -hmm. especially I feel like in our industry, but Mm -hmm. it's in, uh, in all industries. What are some examples of remarkability and innovation that you've seen in the advertising world that you think could be borrowed by us watercoms professionals? Uh, that's kind of a two part question. I'll take remarkability first out. Yes. Um, (laughs) In this context, when we say remarkability, we mean it kind of literally anything that is worth remarking about, repeating to somebody, sharing. Um, And innovation is sort of the quickest avenue right now to achieve remarkability. People are impressed with innovation. It's a currency all its own. Um, And so that's really what the sort of marriage of those two words means, at least in the context of the class I teach. And an example of remarkable innovation uh, that happened recently is a campaign that I can't remember if it was the Telegraph or the London Times did, but they literally created a totally new form of predictive audio. And they ran through this artificial intelligence thing, Mm. every speech Mm. that John F. Kennedy ever made. And the output of all of this to make a long story somewhat short is that they were able to, recreate the speech that JFK would have made in Fort Worth had he not been shot in Dallas exactly the way that JFK would have given it. Oh, for, oh my gosh. For the, for the newspaper, this was a tremendous windfall. People were totally impressed. Subscription rate skyrocketed. But then they turned around and the newspaper and the ad agency who owned the IP 
gave it to the ALS Foundation so that those that had lost their voice could speak again, not in that sort of computer tone, but with their own voice. With their own voice. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You just gave me goosebumps, dude. That's right? amazing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's remarkable. I mean, are, are you going to be able to go a lifetime and not mention that to at least one other person? Yeah. I'm, yeah no. I'm gonna, yeah. That's no, amazing. I, that will stick and with me. All the result of innovation. Someone saying, well, let's figure out a way to let this guy make a speech. Yeah. Wow. wow. I... Uh, I had a story to tell after that. <laughs> it no, feels like not. Can't. Nope. <laughs> yeah. It means nothing. Yeah. No. Um, I love that because that's so personal. And even for someone who hasn't been personally touched by that disease uh, or that circumstance is just, you can totally empathize with that. And uh, that's, I love that. Um, but I think it comes back, you know, cause that's very like people, people's stories affecting other people. And when you talk about remarkability, that makes me think about how in a lot of the conversations we've had recently, we've talked about the thing, the story that's kind of the most amazing story about our industry that we don't tell enough is just the absolute passion of the people who work in this industry. And the fact that in so many cases, when we're working for a utility or a district, we actually a lot of times have to pull stories out of people because mm -hmm. they're just like, oh, I don't have a story. Like it's, oh, it's fine. That's what I do every day. It's not, it's not a thing. But we've had so many people be like, just listening to two folks who work at a water utility plant, going back and forth about why this certain piece of information should be included in the annual water quality report. Like just... Yes, they're getting caught in the minutia of, you know, the data, but the fact that they're like, no, people really need to know about this because what about so da, 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 what about this? About and they're just, they're so passionate about it. And I thought about our experience of being in a leadership group of people who are not all, who were not in water. We were the only water people there and we gave them a tour of the water treatment plan and their biggest takeaway from it was, uh, wow, like the people who work in water here are super passionate about working in water. And for us, like not recognizing that that is a story. And it makes me think about how the video on social media about the guy like completely losing his mind over the double rainbow, like as totally. crazy as like everybody <laughs> thought that he was about like the Just like, oh, they're like making fun of him. But also like, that's so badass. This guy is like so pumped up. But like, we are totally double rainbow people like yes. all the time yes. about water. And we're that's not hilarious. telling that story enough. And like for us, I think that is our so simple but remarkable story that we need to be mm -hmm. telling about what we're doing is the absolute passion and how much the people on the inside really care about every single drop of water that passes through a plant, whether it's drinking water or wastewater. It's just like, we got to tell it. I don't know how That's to it. We gotta tell You're it. exactly right. And in the same way that I would argue that water could and should be communicated about as if it were sort of a luxury brand, yeah. you also have that... I mean, that powerful currency of a human story built in. I mean, literally something that benefits, that is for the betterment of the world. Yeah. And when I, when I tell the JFK Unsilenced campaign story to people, it's never the newspaper part they remember. It's the ALS part they want to yes. talk about. That's the human part. That's what's powerful. Mm -hmm. And water has that built in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you brought up currency a little bit. So you talk about in your class also this currency of clout. So yeah. can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what that is? Because there's kind of both positive and negative influences there. Yeah. I mean, it just refers to what, you know, an academic would call social currency, meaning the value that your followers place on whatever information it is you want to share with them. That plus, of course, the number of followers that you have. So if you've got, you know, a million followers, but they don't think what you share is all that great, you know, maybe you're worth X, what but if you've got 10,000 and they hang on every word that you say, then you might be worth X also. Mm. Um, so it's just a way of valuating people's social currency. God, uh, can you please very, say that again? <laughs> <laughs> a very, uh, you know, strange and so somewhat disturbing way to, uh, uh, to color people, but um, it is powerful and, yeah. Um, you know, influencer marketing, as we call it, is probably the most effective form out there right now. Um, but there is positive and negative influence. A great example 
of the power of it is how you, you, you guys have seen this fire festival documentary <laughs> or heard about it. Oh my God. Have I, I've seen all everything about this. I've read everything <laughs> about this is the most fascinating, terrible story. Can you give like a brief synopsis of that? I don't know if Ariane can give a brief one. Can you give a brief one? <laughs> yeah. So uh, a known sort of party promoter and a known sort of swindler uh, yeah. out of New York decided that he was going to throw the biggest sort of luxury music festival bash on a private island in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And in particular, it was going to be, oh, what's the big drug dealer's name out of the famous? Uh, oh, uh, it was, was it Al Pacino's? No, it was um, oh, Pablo, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> That's the one. An island that was owned by Escobar. The island. Probably played him at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But they marketed it strictly through influencer marketing. They hired people like the Kardashians yep. and models, and ultimately, it was sort of the random posting of a solid orange square by a thousand, two thousand well-known influencers all simultaneously that had tens of thousands of young, rich millennials flying down to an island, having no idea who they were going to see, where they were going to stay, what they were going to do. And it was nothing, you know, but porta potties and soaking wet tents. The amount of lack of infrastructure (laughs) on this island is unreal. It's literally just an island yeah and so when i was watching this that's what i was me being a water nerd was so fascinated it was like they were like yeah man we're just gonna like pipe in water and i was like you're gonna do what (laughs) they were like yeah man like we didn't even think about sewage and i'm like or like pooping and i'm like huh the basic element of like hashtag mammals yeah like what are you talking oh my gosh don't even get me started i mean the food problem (laughs) that's the sleeping arrangements, sure, you can figure that out. Zero infrastructure. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they ended up eating, you know, they, they each paid thousands, of, you know, several thousand dollars to get down there, some of them more. And they were served, I think, like a jiffy between two slices of yeah. Wonder Bread or it something. It instantly became, <laughs> what was the book, um, Lord of the Oh, Lord of the Flies, yeah. Instantly, yeah. like, people were basically wanting to eat each other at this point. Like, wow. it was bad. But while... <laughs> the outcome of that was negative, <laughs> at least for the people that paid to go. Yeah. It's an example of positive influence. They leveraged a group of Unbelievable. influencers to, I mean, totally pull the wool, which is, of course, not our goal in marketing, but no. yeah. to succeed in their goal, in their communications yeah. goal. An example of negative influence is something that, that we did with uh, LVMH. So Gucci bags were selling better than Louis Vuitton bags. And of course, that was problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, what was being proposed by our company to LVMH was, let's use a bunch of influencers, get Louis Vuitton top of mind again, et cetera, et cetera. I'll take a Louis any day. Right. Me too. Someone had a, the bright idea to, you know, what if we did the opposite? What if we started giving people that society hates Gucci bags, would more people start, start buying Louis Vuitton? Nice. And Whoa. so we started with, um, oh, and now her name's going to I'll take me. a Gucci bag any day, too. No, the, the Jersey Shores gal. Oh, that? God, which oh, one? Snooki? Snooki? We sent Snooki a bunch of Gucci bags, and off of her alone, Louis Vuitton sales in North America started to go up. And so, <laughs> sorry, Snooki. Right. But that's an example of negative influence. Not sorry. Sure. Oh my. She's a great mom now. Oh, she is? Yeah. I don't know her outside of. Okay. But uh, whatever you think of Snooky is, you know, not really the point. The target audience had a certain <laughs> opinion. <laughs> the target audience had an opinion of Snooky and it worked. I mean, I always yeah. bringing us back, Duke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. What is gamification and how are brands using this? Gamification is probably just what you imagine. It's the application of you know gaming principles competition to uh a commercial communication um sort of the great example of this and the sort of most simple and subtle example of it too is all of the fit tech that's around Uh, that all started with nike and their thinking was well let's let's incorporate this element of competition 
and we'll sell a whole lot more. And they were right. Yeah. And in gamification, there's sort of three tensions. It can be you versus you, you versus them, or you versus time. And Nike went with you versus you. How many steps can you get? Can you beat yesterday? Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, everyone's walking around with an Apple watch or a Fitbit now. They are and buying new tennis shoes and everything. Yeah. Cause they got to get those steps in. Yep. <laughs> Easy to get obsessed with that. I dig it. Um, okay. So please, 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 please nerd out with us for a minute on right. data and measurement. So, uh, rumor has it that you have a cheat sheet for <laughs> data and measurement. Uh, like, tell us how that involves also a personal hero of mine, Dr. Dre, and mm. which I have in my ears right now. Yeah, you sure do. I don't know about a cheat sheet to data, but I think the, you know, the bottom line, the cheat to any kind of communications period is to do the research, to understand who you're talking to, and to know, you know, what they believe so that you can communicate what you believe effectively to them. Uh, and the only way to do that in our business is through data. Um, make sure you have people who know how to analyze it too, because it's worthless if it's yeah. being analyzed poorly. Yeah. Uh, but Beats by Dre is a cool data story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Dre and many musicians were, of course, upset that their music was getting stolen. Mm-hmm. And iTunes offered perhaps a solution to to that thievery, you know, make it relatively affordable, 99 cents, and people would buy instead of steal. That turned out to work. But then the musicians sort of found the double edge of that sword and discovered that, yes, people were paying now, but the quality, the the sound quality of their music was horribly degraded because it was coming (laughs) from iTunes instead of a CD. And so Dr. Dre said, well, let's go and find out how much people are willing to pay to have that sound quality returned to them. And he found that people were, many people were willing to pay a good amount of money if it were a well-designed headphone. And now he owns 70% of the market share in high-end headphones. Yeah. I mean, do you have like two pair? Like your- I have two pair, yeah. yeah. This is my uh, workout pair. And then I have like my studio looking pair that I, yeah. I mean, okay, so seriously, well, I'm a huge Dr. Dre fan to begin with. I grew up with that guy, not literally, but like in my ears. <laughs> and I was at Best Buy making the choice of, I mean, I went there to get uh, Beats headphones. And yes. the sales guy at Best Buy was like, well, what about that? And I was like, nope. And like several times he tried to steer me away from this. And I was like, dude, like I am not leaving this <laughs> with something other than Dre's like beats. beats I have Dre. seen the documentary. It's beats by Dre. Like this is, yeah, like piss off if you're not going <laughs> to. I know what I'm here for, man. Back I off. I know what I'm here for. Yeah. But uh, um, I know I was kind of vague in that question, but I know that in your uh, in your class, you talk about the advertiser's cheat sheet when it comes to uh, oh. measurement. So that's what I was hinting at. I didn't know if you could share any of that with us. Uh, I, I don't know how well it will translate to audio, but it's, <laughs> it's basically just a, a grid, but it, it's a cheat sheet of the way that human beings make decisions and to what extent you really need data to support the risk that you're undertaking. You're trying to get a human being to do something based purely on reason. It's very unlikely that they'll do it. Hmm. So you need a bunch of data to support that they want that solution. Uh You're trying to get a human being to do something based on emotion. It's very likely that they will do it. And so maybe data is less necessary, but not as exciting a cheat sheet as you clearly imagine. I was clearly imagining something that would just solve all of my data and measurement problems. So just kidding. Uh, if, you find, if you find that holy grail, please pass it on to me. Uh, but I love that we are, we do, we will talk about emotion in a little bit, but uh, uh, we heard somewhere in a presentation or somewhere that story is data with a soul and oh, how yeah. you kind of have to need that. Facts and figures alone will not inspire people to change it. There has to be an element of story. And of course, all stories have a bit of emotion in there too. Yeah. So. yeah. Sure. So sometimes the biggest challenges in branding and comms is not hashtag overthinking 
Ariane, overthink Ariane all the time. <laughs> Why is it so important for us to keep things simple, usable, and memorable? Uh, that's a great question. I would amend it if I could slightly. Yeah, go for it. At least just reminding the, the listeners that I think it's worth overthinking when you're concepting. I think it's worth overthinking when you're sifting through data. I think it's worth overthinking when you're trying to decide what the best move for it is. Sure. But the solution has to be simple. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to really sort of the, the basis of our conversation, contagion, shareability, virality. That which is complicated is hard to remember and difficult to share. That which is simple, a message that people understand immediately, respond to emotionally immediately, and can then convey to another human being immediately, has to be simple. Uh, and so whatever communication solution we come up with after a great deal of overthinking mm-hmm. had better be simple if we want it to, to have any legs at all. So you're saying I have a strength of overthinking. So there, there Please you don't go. say that. Yep. Don't tell I like her it. that. I'm, nope. I'm, that's nope. my takeaway. Nope. Overthink Ariane is coming out. Okay. I do. I think you and I have a strength in overthinking and I think it's a terrible curse sometimes too, but I mean, it's a um, double edged sword. I mean, just think Nike, like just do it. Like I think of all the times when I, from that perspective of working out or like a physical challenge in that way. And you know, Nike is like, uh, just do it. Like stop talking yourself out of turning the alarm off and not getting out. Yes. It's cold. Yes. You don't want to. Yes. You're t- just do it. You know, like I just, yeah. and it's so simple. It's probably simple why message. we make a great duo because I'll overthink would, and you just do it. I was saying the same thing. Yeah. And it's the hallmark of a great leader decisiveness, knowing when, okay, we know all we're going to know. Let's take the risk now. Yeah. Yeah. It's those simple messages there. Yeah. Like uh, several times you've heard people say what resonates with them in some of the presentations that we've said is when we talk about how just the simple sentence of saying that communication isn't a project, it's a relationship and the work is never done when you're talking about a relationship, you know, and that's because we know our audience and our, our industry is so engineer heavy and engineers are very project focused. You know, a project comes in, they evaluate it, they find a solution, they implement the solution, they move on to the next project. But when it comes to communication, that's not like, don't work. That's that not way. how it works. I mean, we're dealing with human beings and that takes, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. And it's an incredible segue into platforms and campaigns if you want to go there. Uh, of course. Yes. Take but what there. you're talking about the, the engineers and such having this mindset, which is not wrong. I mean, it's the mindset they have to have to do their Yeah, job. exactly. Of this sort of iterative, okay, project X is done, project Y, project Z. That's sort of what a campaign looks like. You have a goal, you set a time limit, you set a budget, you go out and try and achieve it. And then you're, you're back to square one. Yeah. Uh, at least in the sense that in advertising, we know that when a campaign ends, so do sales. You know, whatever sales generated from it will end when the campaign does. Yeah. A platform is something you create, like the Fitbit for Nike, where you can serve those communications constantly. And more importantly, to your point, have that conversation, have communications come back to you so that you can build that relationship. Yeah. Um, and campaigns are sort of passe now, you know. Um, it's all about platforms these days. Like what's the difference between a platform and say like your brand investing in building your brand and kind of like always communicating around your brand and what your brand stands for. Is that similar or different? I mean, the brand is the foundation of everything. If you don't have that together and if you're not consistent with it, then platforms and campaigns are a moot point. But uh, let's see, a good example of a platform is something that is not the message itself, but a, service mechanism for the message uh and campaigns are you know almost always the message yeah tv radio print whatever the case may be 360 but a platform like well the i the iWatch, the iphone all of those are examples really of platforms although they're handheld and physical that apple can get you to spend money with them you know through and they can send you messages and et cetera et cetera um, Turn your battery life down where you have to buy a battery every three times. <laughs> you know, they do that on purpose. They design them that way. Yep. Dude, I don't know how many batteries I bought. I'm too stubborn to go get a new phone. 
See, I just go get a new phone every time. I didn't even know you could replace the battery. Oh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so you touched on campaigns and platforms, but something that you had in the uh, syllabus was interesting to me as well. Where you, you talked about mountain climbing. I didn't know that we could add that to your repertoire, but um, <laughs> you talk about mountain climbing and how we scale the viral mountains, which I love that you put it that way. What does that mean? Um, kind of the same way we talked about simplicity being essential for a message to reach a tipping point. So is scalability, right? By definition, when you're thinking about a message hitting the tipping point, it starts off small and then becomes big. Mm -hmm. so you have to devise your message and whatever wrapping you put it in from the get-go uh, to be able to, to scale, to grow. Otherwise, it won't and, and you won't you know, achieve the outcome that you want. Um, the sort of scaling the viral mountains is a way I remind myself to remind the students that this doesn't happen in sort of a one-off, oh, I have a brilliant idea kind of way. Uh, every great campaign, every great platform came on the heels of many, many more trials and failures. Mm. Um, going to test audiences, you know, trying this out, trying that out, having the creative director shit all over it. Um, and at the end of the day is a solution that works because they tried so many things to begin with mm -hmm. and students and people I work with are constantly thinking, Oh, well this has to be the one great answer. But this scaling viral mountains is just my way of reminding them that if you're going to get something good enough for virality, you're going to have to, we say, test it, stick it, you know, scale it. Yeah. That's it. Sometimes I think we stop, too prematurely in in our industry with an idea and we don't I mean, there's in order to find that good one and one of our speakers at catalyst and and he was also i think episode 50 in the podcast ryan uh, romero who teaches advertising at the university of texas your oh, alma cool. mater yeah. yeah he uh talked about that idea of just like collecting these dots like just keep on like collecting these dots aka ideas and because once you collect them and collect them, like you need this just huge uh, bag of dots. Yeah, this huge bag of dots that you can pull from later or get ideas from. Like it takes a ton of ideas to really like get down to that really good one. You know, like the best idea is not going to be the first, second, third, 50th one you have. It's going to be just grinding away at that ideation and just the different iteration of the ideas and the message. And that's yeah. it. And no idea I've ever seen or heard about has been the perfect idea. It's just been good enough. Yeah. I think if we, if someone took a, a whole lifetime to devote themselves to distilling, collecting the dots for the perfect idea, maybe they'd get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Romero was his name? Ryan Romero. Yeah. He was He's a... definitely right. He He's was a, a hit it. You will love it. He's a hit and hoot at uh okay, so we're gonna get to a topic that uh is near and dear to my heart because I'm a super emo kid. I wear my emotions on my oh sleeve, boy. my tears. Yep, my pocket, my forehead. It's yeah, I am a product of my emotions. So but sometimes in communication we forget the people that are yeah. on the other side of the message we're delivering, uh the human element of that. Um, and we're complicated animals, man, human beings we are. Um, how do we manage the emotion and human decision-making? We don't manage it, I think. It's <laughs> um, and while you're right, we are extremely complicated you know, beings. I think when it comes to what we do, uh, it's more <laughs> beneficial to us and our clients to think of us as re relatively simple animals, which yeah. is also the truth. Uh, at the end of the day, human beings make decisions emotionally, period. Mm -hmm. uh, we trick ourselves into thinking that we've brought reason and logic into our decision making, but it's essentially a lie we tell ourselves. We use reason to rationalize the emotional decision we've already made. Um, so if you can conjure an emotion in a target audience, and that emotion is one that will drive them to take an action you want, then you've won. Yeah. You'll find a way to, to rationalize whatever action it is you've gotten them to take. So I'm going to go a little rogue and maybe put you on the spot. And if, uh, if this doesn't work out, then that's fine. But you kind of took me in your comment back to the, 
very first question in relation to storytelling and how one of the five elements of that was tension. Yeah. And a key reason that, that tension is so important because it does help to create that emotional component of the story. So when you're thinking about something in relation to water and, you know, having said that you've spent time around me and Ariane, you've spent time in the company of water nerds at Catalyst. Um, I think that that's probably, it was for me, so I don't want to speak for everyone, but learning about the elements of story and how to use them more effectively in the way that I communicate, creating that, that idea of creating tension was somewhere that I got hung up on and struggled with when telling our story. So like, if I came to you with that same problem, like what would you tell, what would you tell me? Are you asking me what I think your, the conflict is, the sellable one? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the action you're trying to get someone to take. Yeah. Uh, but basically, I think at the end of the day, we all know what the world looks like if humankind, particularly Western humankind, doesn't begin to respect clean water. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's a grim picture. Yeah. Which is dramatic and, you know, primed for Hollywood. Um, and that's good in that it provides you with a legitimate sort of conflict that you can propose right. to people. The challenge is it can come off as seeming hyperbolic. Yeah. Respect water or else, you know, we're Kevin Costner and water. Right. Yeah. Doom uh, and gloom. I think that's true or get people to think about the world without water as they know it now, without them yeah. knowing that you're getting them to think about it. Yeah. Okay. Think about water as being sexy and being that for which we look yeah. on other planets when we're looking for life and connect it to triggers like life, you know, foliage, fauna, all of that <laughs> stuff in a real way for people, not the sort of, I mean, river I, runs through it way, then people yeah. will inevitably imagine a world without those things and you might have some, some traction. Yeah. I mean, every time I think of like my husband just cut the grass the other day and then it rained, you know, and that smell, like that would be a great trigger smell to tell a story around, you know, fresh cut grass after a good rain. Mm. And there's great, you know, there's a great ad in that too. The voiceover conjuring that smell, even though the viewer can't smell it. Yeah. But those kinds of things, yeah, you need to connect it to, and it's the truth, which is the amazing, what I love about your quote unquote product, as opposed to a Tiffany ring is that it's doing the world good. And it's the truth Yeah, without fresh water. You don't have the smell of the grass cut and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that the whole comments on triggers are really important because I think that's how we, I think our biggest problem is that people have just kind of forgotten there's so many things in, you know, modern day civilization where we're so disconnected from so many things of, you know, where our food comes, where our water comes from, where our clothes come from, like all of that, like we're completely disconnected from all of that. And so I think it's really important as a part of that is to kind of use that idea of triggers to remind us where all of these things come from and what would cease to exist if something as fundamental as water was not here anymore. So. Amen. And that brings you right back to tension too, because the world is so noisy and we have so many people vying for our attention. If we can create a conflict that's real and immediate, then it, the message becomes urgent and people will make room to hear it. Yeah. You've got to have that conflict. For sure. Well, always a, uh, always a pleasure to speak with you uh, about ladies. story and all of this. But uh, so we're going to like hop in really quick to the, the lightning round. We have a few more questions to ask. Ooh, all right. So Ariane, take it away. Okay. <laughs> Duke, what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? My favorite book is almost always To Kill a Mockingbird, but the one I'm reading right now is a book called Range uh, by a guy named David Epstein, which is about the way the world is becoming so highly specialized, but an argument for why generalists Mm. are Mm. the best people to operate in a specialized world. And as a generalist, (laughs) I'm enjoying it. What's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Meditate. Ooh. Safe answer. Every like morning. <laughs> is he gonna, safe? I thought he was going to say, mm, have, a okay. yeah. <laughs> have a drink. Have a drink. 
<laughs> That's usually at the end of the day when yeah. I'm ready to not be productive. Yeah, right. uh, but no, meditation, I think, is essential to my creativity, productivity, health, wealth, and happiness. So every day. Nice. Um, so you have already been a guest on the Water in Real Life podcast. So I have asked you this final question before, but I'm going to ask it again and see if by chance it has changed. But um, I don't remember what I said last time. Uh, good. good. Uh, we'll, we'll go and compare. Uh, so Ariane and I, having been in the like business of <laughs> having been in the business of behavior change, um, you know, we've had people tell us what differences it make. If I make a change, I'm just one person. It's not like my one change is going to change the world, but we wholeheartedly disagree because you never know what your actions will inspire in others. So when, if you do make a change, you could inspire others to maybe potentially change the world. So what's the one call to action that you are most passionate about that you believe might ultimately change the world? Well, I think you're right. You can inspire people to change the world too, but I think changing the world for one person, one person's world mm -hmm. is a pretty significant accomplishment too. Um, and so to that, I, I don't remember what I said last time, but today I would say empathy mm. about the people around you. Imagine what they might be going through. Remember that unless they're, you know, Manson or Kemper or somebody, they're doing the best they can with the cards that they were dealt. And we're all just trying to do the best we can. And I think that if everyone kept that at least partially in mind some of the time, yeah. um, we, we'd be better off. Mm -hmm. And that sounds pretty, I'm not great at it. I could do it a lot better as well, but um, I don't know. I You're grateful of it, so that's, yeah. that counts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not like word for word, but I'm pretty sure that that's like sure really that's, close yeah. to what Once you said. said the first <laughs> time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Once you said it, I remembered. But Guys, Duke was what, number four? Yeah, early, early. Like we're at, 64 you're well he's no, not gonna be 64 you're actually gonna be 65 yeah Ooh, i like that number yeah yeah social security i mean we've come a long way we hope you enjoyed today's episode never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the water nerd newsletter found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says. Those who tell the stories rule the world.